I want to look first of all tonight at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. Now we're studying the Christian home. This is number 13 in a series. And we've been looking at various aspects of the home as Christians should see it. The picture of the home in the world is not the picture of the home that you should see. So much of the modern home today is chaotic, sometimes very dysfunctional. They're so involved in things around the city and the town that they rarely ever eat together because they've always got some schedule to attend. They don't talk much. They have problems when the teenagers begin to grow up because they disagree with their parents and their religious views and they begin challenging you why you believe the way you do. They don't necessarily see it that way. And you thought all those years they were growing up that they surely would, but things change. And sometimes families don't do well. And things come into your life and come into your family's life that become difficult and it drags you down spiritually. We don't want that, and it certainly does not have to be, because if we live according to the Bible and we do things the Bible's way, we can avoid all of that. Listen, God honors his word. He watches over his word to perform it. It's not your opinion of it. It's not what you think it means, but as to what it says, God will honor that. Now, whether or not we're willing to do that is another story. But we have to realize as we approach this subject tonight that we have to look at it as Christians. We have to look at it from the Christian standpoint. We're talking about dating and courtship now and going steady because it's the most common thing amongst teenagers there is. And yet it causes more trouble than, as we used to say, I don't know if people say it today, it causes more trouble than you can shake a stick at and whatever that means. But it's just a lot of things happen. Brings grief and sorrow, brings difficulty, especially things go wrong. Sometimes you have two kids in the church that are just there and they kind of take a liking to each other and they kind of get that like to work and mesh a little bit and then they break up and then one of them won't come back to church because every time I go I see him or I see her and I get depressed. I'd rather not go. And so you think your whole relationship with God is based on dating. You're going to deny yourself hearing the word of God. What was it Jesus said about hearing the word? He said only one thing is necessary. Remember that in Luke chapter 10 towards the end of that? He said only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that part. That's hearing the word of God. But, oh, no, I broke up with Sally Mae or Billy Ray, and, and I just can't stand to look at them now because when I do, I just remember how he broke my heart or she jilted me, and I just can't go back to that church anymore. Let me tell you something, that should never be. It's not supposed to be like that, and we should not have that to be a problem. But it happens all the time. I got too much gray hair, I've lived too many years, I've been here long enough to say what I'm saying with experience. I've seen it happen far too much. Or one parent's daughter breaks up with another parent's son or vice versa, and then those parents kind of have a problem with each other because they only believe what their children tell them. They never know the deal with it. And they let that become an issue in the family. And it's all because of this aggressive liking and attraction towards and a pursuit of a relationship and we're together. All because of that. You think about it. On the basis of that, they deny themselves a hearing of the word of God. They put all their marbles in that one thing. As long as everything goes right for me, I'll be fine. Well, let's read Ecclesiastes. You should have found it by now. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Really just the first part of it. It says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. That is before you grow old and so forth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Think of it like this. Have in your mind as a Christian to measure what you do by what would please him. Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking about doing, or what I'm about to do, is this something that would please God for me to do it? Is this something that God has inspired? And if you say, well, I don't know if he does or not, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't. Because we're talking about a person who lives that says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now, here's what often happens in chapter 11. 
Same book, chapter 11 and verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let your heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Do what you see, man. You're only young once. Have you ever heard that? You're only young once. Come on, man. Have some fun. Loosen up. Don't be an old religious fogey your whole life and deny yourself just obvious youthful pleasures. Look what you see and look, go for it. It's not wrong. God isn't going to send you to hell because you look at somebody and you like them. Isn't that the way you say it? Let me read it again, and I'll give you the last part of it. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know this, but know this. If you're going to do that, know this, that for all these things, God will bring thee to judgment. That's your choice, because we live by choices. How many times have we said that everybody in this room is where you are tonight, right now, what you are because of choices you have made in your life? And nobody can make a choice for you. You've got to make your own. And when you grow up and you become a young adult, you start making choices on your own because you're required to make choices. You're required to be responsible. You're required to live the right way. You've got to make those choices. Now, many people don't. But at least we know where they are. We know that you sound good and you look good, but you're not living the way you're supposed to. But he says this, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now, can any of you find the book of Lamentations? This pages are real clean. On the other side of Jeremiah, just go two or three more books to the right and look at Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 27. I'm sure you all are very familiar with this. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse... 27. Lamentations 3, 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, the way a lot of people who don't bear the yoke in their youth would describe you who would bear the yoke in your youth is that you're just a religious fuddy-duddy behind the times and your religion is dragging you down and making you unpopular. Because in your youth... You have chosen to bear the yoke. That is the way of God. Remember this. Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, take my yoke. What do you mean? His way. Didn't he? Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. That is God offers you a way that he wants you to relate to him. You do it my way. Take my yoke upon you. And you draw an eye to me like two oxen, you know, side by side in a yoke, and you learn of me. You'll learn what I'm like, and I want you to be like me. I'm an example for you to follow in my steps, the Bible says. And one of the things that will take you away from that are the sins of your youth. Paul wrote, he said, flee youthful lust, because the growing up years, the coming of age years, young girls begin to become women, and they begin to develop and fill out and young men become men. Their voices change and they're muscular and they begin to realize their strength and they begin to see changes in their body, the hormones and the things you think about. And where you as little kids never saw much about girls or the boys, but one day they begin to be the special object of your attention. And you don't really know what to do with it at first, but all the other boys you talk to that are coming of age and reaching puberty, they begin to talk about it. And next thing you know, when you watch TV, and most people do, and you watch all the romantic encounters on TV, and they're not with married people, that would be dull. And then you begin to hear what people say in conversations. If you're in school, you hear locker room talk. And about all of this and all of that, so your mind gets invaded with all of these things. You're thinking about it. I was a kid. I know what it's about. It might have been a long time ago to some of you, but I can still remember it pretty well. And I remember what it was like in the discovery of another time in my life. I'm no longer a little boy. Now I'm a man. I'm about to drive a car. I'm about to come of an age in which a whole new dimension of living is going to take place. It'll either prepare me for my adult life or it'll ruin me. It'll do one of the two. 
because very few people come out of their youthful years unscarred. So we don't want you to live as you please. We don't want you to live thinking you're all right because you go to church, you've had a religious experience in your life or you got good religious parents. And somehow or another, that makes everything fine. Because when God singles out the word youth, he singles out young people and he says, now with you, I want you to remember me in the days of your youth. Don't put me out of your mind. You keep me in your mind and your thoughts and what you're doing. I want you to measure your life by what I've taught you, by what you've been hearing in church, if you're hearing anything. And I want you to live as though what I said is absolutely supreme. But anyway, in Ecclesiastes, it also tells us that if you do your own thing and you face judgment, then it'll be a tragedy. Here's a fact. Nobody who can hear the gospel have time to hear it like we do right now. We stopped our whole day right now to come here and be still and listen. You stop everything you're doing to sit around here right now and listen. Now, whether I'm telling you the truth or not, you measure that. Don't believe it because I said it. But look in the Bible and see if it's so. You want to take advantage of that, like the Bible says, and redeem the time. Make full advantage of what you're hearing. Don't let it slip. Listen to it and measure yourself by it. No matter what you're doing, if you're about to make a mistake, you can fix it by stopping. All it takes is courage to wrest yourself away from the peer pressure of the world to conform to the world's norms and the world's standards. Because remember this, the whole world lieth in darkness. And when people talk about, well, I want my own freedoms, without Christ, you're never free. You're described as being in bondage. Because if you don't serve the Lord, you're serving the devil. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. If you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. And once that dark spirit comes in and takes over a person's life, no matter how hard you want to try to do right, you can't do right. There have been a lot of alcoholics and broken hearts and divorced people and bums off the street and just difficult times in people's lives that said, I've got to clean my life up and do better. And they realize they can't. Your nature has to change. God has to do something on the inside of you. With your mind, you can't serve God. So whenever he speaks to you as Christian young people, Tonight, take heed to what he's saying to you. Now, what about dating, going steady, and courtship? Is it wrong? Is it okay? Well, what does the scripture say about it? What is it? Well, what is dating? Let me give you a definition of dating. Dating is a shared event between a male and a female. Now, today, you'd get run through the mail if you said it that way. How many of you know today people don't like just male and female anything? They like Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve. But a shared event between a male and a female with a non-binding biblical commitment between them with each other and the only supervision they have when they're alone and together is themselves. They're out together. They're going out. I think they say it that way today. We're going out tonight or we're going to do this or do that. And there's two people who are primarily are responsible for their behavior with each other. He used to go to the door, knock on the door and talk to her parents and then he would go. And today I think they just put their hat on backwards and blow the horn. And she doesn't have enough sense but to run out there and dad won't even look and go out there and say, well, I don't know what you're doing, boy, but you're at the wrong house tonight. And I'll tell you something, I hope it's true. All you young dads, you got them little girls, sweet little old babies, cute as they can be, and everybody knows they're cute. And somebody said, what are you going to do when that little girl's about 16 years old and some little boy's got his hat on backwards and he's walking around like he's cool trying to hold his pants up. And he comes out there and blows the horn and says, come on, babe. Oh, he's, oh, no, 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 not my house. And you know what? It does happen. Because somewhere between hello, babe, and you doing something about it, something changes. I think your, your little girl just doesn't want to, you're not going to let me go out and date. I'm going to be a freak of nature. Everybody's making fun of me because I don't have a boyfriend. What's wrong with you, boy? You don't have a girlfriend. Are you, uh, you all right? Well, I'm telling you the way our society thinks. 
It's a shared event between a male and a female who have no binding biblical commitment to each other. Somebody said, so if somebody wants to go on a date and you were the dad, would you say, are you going to marry my daughter? Is that what you're saying? And the kid would say, Mary? I, no, <laughs> just going to go to a movie. Well, we don't go to movies. That's the time for courtship when you do that. And I could see the little kid's brain running going, what? What kind of people are y'all? What kind of religion are you in? You ever heard that? What kind of religion are y'all? As though we're some, you know, really weird people. We're just trying to say, you know, we're trying our best. It's not easy. We're trying our best at this difficult time in our youngsters' lives to give them a good reason to do right and hopefully guide them through this time in their life without these major conflicts. I like to be able to raise my children. You hopefully you can say this. I want to be able to raise my children so that when they are grown or about to be grown, that we have a good relationship and they will honor what I want them to do. And out of respect for their parent or for their daddy or for the mother, the dad in this case, they will not do what I don't want them to do because that would be dishonoring to the parents. You don't know a half a dozen people in your whole life like that, but it should be like that. Because if a man is a proper Christian father, he has, as a Christian, only the best interest of his daughter in mind. Because this father looks out into the world and our society, and he looks out in society, and he looks at the way young people are dressing themselves. It looks how young people are acting. And you can't but read in the paper every day of all the unwanted pregnancies or the intense rise in the sale of birth control pills and other devices because this is a sexually explosive age. And there's this unrestrained, out-of-control lust and lewd behavior and speech and the music that kids listen to today identifies the whole act. It's all in the sense of freedom. And you know when your child is growing up, they're going to hear that from somebody. They're going to be out there where that is. And you really don't want your boy or your daughter to ever get caught up in that stuff because that's death. You know it is. You know it is. Well, you got to learn to trust them somewhere. Did you trust yourself? I asked a young lady one time, this was years ago, and she was kind of complaining about her parents' restraints. Somehow it's not fair and that type of thing. And I said, you know yourself, don't you? She said, well, yeah. I said, I mean, you know what you are and how you think, and you know your weaknesses and your flaws and maybe even your strengths. Would you trust yourself with some really good-looking boy on some late-in-the-evening place? And I had a couple of them say no. See, you just agree with what I'm trying to say. Your best bet is to avoid all that stuff. You don't need it to develop and grow normally. That's not a part of normal growth. It's not in the Bible. You don't need it, and you shouldn't want that. But it's out there, and it certainly is going on. And a lot of people say, well, when did all this start? I used to teach this years back and used to say, dating is a rather modern event. In the 1900s, which was a century ago, that's not very modern, but in the 1900s, it was uncommon for a young man to ever ask a girl out. He always asked her father, but he never asked her out. He would go to the father's house in the presence of the parents, and he would talk to her there. And if they stepped outside, you know, they'd pull the curtain back and watch. There's a lot of things that they did then that you wouldn't do now, but they were really concerned because parents just knew that you should not trust young folks to get along with each other because of this time of their life, all these hormones and passions. We call it lust today, but all this stuff is chugging. I mean, it's right there. It's not wrong to have it. You're made this way. There's a reason for it and a place that it's all supposed to be, but it's not just free-for-all either. I mean, there's so much promiscuous or many partners stuff going on today that it's almost commonplace. We hear it so much and see it so much, we're getting hardened to it. Yeah, well, they're all doing it. You think, you know, as a Christian, I don't want that attitude. I don't want, like in Ezekiel 6, 16, you know, you parents have taken my children and sacrificed them to an idol. And that's basically what a lot of 
parents are doing are just giving up the effort of trying to do this right God's way and they're getting hammered for it. Their kids don't like them. And they just, instead of holding fast, they just say, all right, go ahead. Just, all right, I told you. No, no, you go on. And they go out and the tragedy then begins. If it doesn't happen in the back seat of a car, it happens in the attitude that ends in divorce if they do get married. All because of the trash and the junk that people are experimenting with and trying out way before they're ready to cope with such pressure. And young people, you know and I do too, that a lot of problems come with young people. But it all started back, I think, in the 1900s when World War I and then we have a time called the Roaring Twenties. And it was a time, uh, the Industrial Revolution, and a lot of things were going on and there was a new thing being presented to the public, movies, Movies were just cranking up. And there was this sort of fascination. Now, the word fascination is demonic as far as I'm concerned because it's a spell. And there was this spell-bound attraction to movies. You ever watch little kids today walk by a TV set? You could have the weather channel on. I mean, there's something about the thing. And here they were going to theaters with popcorn and they begin to see two unmarried people begin to court and have romantic encounters or engagements. You had some things left to your imagination, which it's designed to do to make you think more and have that in your mind. And then you came out of that movie thinking, I wonder, uh, wow, what's that like? And then girls became available because this Puritan age, they called it, began to give way to feminism. And the feminists were just beginning to make their voices known in those roaring 20s in that segment of time. Your rights and freedoms, liberties. And why shouldn't women have the same rights as men and have the same jobs and I demand and why can't we? And they went off to school in co-ed dorms and, you know, some of them were in your face with all of this. Parents couldn't stop them. And others began to watch that and there was this mentality, this mindset in a lot of young girls. The educational system started catering to that because, well, you don't want to, you know, just have boys over girls. Let boys do that, but not girls. So they begin to give in to this and the mindset began to be formed that whatever boys do, girls can do it too. If a boy's allowed to go out and do this, that, why shouldn't a girl? So she got jobs in the factories just like he does. And in the factories, you meet other guys and you talk about other girls, all of that. I remember at the end of World War II, <laughs> that's how old I am. My mother worked over at the powder plant in Charlestown because all the men had gone to war. I mean, we had lost thousands and thousands of young men in World War II. I mean, thousands and thousands of men. And the women had to go to work. And when they went to work, they started making money they never made before. And they began to run into other men here and other men there and talk to other women. They got to talking about their freedoms and their partners. The next thing you know, homes begin to break up. And when there was a time there wasn't any divorce in our country, then there's a divorce just skyrocketed. The automobile came along. The automobile was called a rolling parlor. And a boy and a girl could get away from the oversight and the supervision of their parents. Wasn't a lot of cars, but the ones that did, you know, and they could pick that girl up and they go somewhere. And it's in every parent's mind whenever their kids leave the driveway. I wonder where they're going. I wonder what they're doing. You know, you wouldn't have to wonder if you just said, no, you can't go. You stay here. And she throws a fit or he throws a fit. I guess they just have to throw one. But the automobile was invented and freedom from the oversight of parents began to be more and more. If you got a car, you can get away. You can do a lot of things that nobody can see you. And not only that, but you also had new dances. The dancing craze came in the 20s. You used to have socials where they would, now you can laugh if you want to, be square dance, you know, you either do the do-si-do and all this kind of stuff. And there was no holding and touching. And then he got these new dances where you begin to slow dance, they call it. And you would put your arm around the girl's waist and you hold out here. You know, you could throw a cat between them. They dance like that. 
And then the more freedom you got, the more expressive you got with the dance because the mood of the music, and music still does it, the music puts you in the mood for romantic feelings. And after all, he's a nice guy and she's a nice girl and we just really like each other. We don't mean anything by it, but I don't know what she's sprayed herself with now, but I can't stand it. I, I, it's just, I'm about getting weak and I'm just trying to dance with her and I'm getting all, you know. I see you all laughing. I'm just telling you how all this started. And the next thing you know, he's calling her and let's go out tonight to a movie. Let's go out to dinner and more and more they get familiar. They start out by just touching hands and it goes from holding hands and it goes from there on and on and on. And it caused a lot of trouble, caused a lot of pain because a lot of youngsters realize that really nice Christian girl from a really wonderful family and that young man who just had the whole world going for him, a good moral young kid. One night they realized that their emotions, their feelings were greater than their resistance to the best of kids. And, you know, that should have never been. Should have never been. Today, they're so used to it, I think that they just go ahead and get their birth control pills, and then, you know, you don't have any problems. I think this is a wicked age. I think it's evil. I really do. I mean, the things that people do to do what they want to do, and they go to church. They sit there, and they hear you and all that kind of stuff. And also in the 20s, when dads begin to abdicate their roles as fathers, they no longer took a keen interest in their daughter's activities or their son's. They just begin to talk themselves out of being so strict and so firm. And they begin to convince themselves, I need to trust her and I need to trust him and I shouldn't be so cautious about this. He quit having his little talks with her about, you know, being a Christian father. I have to give an account to God for how you turn out. If I let you do things that really hurt you or harm us, it's my fault. Because I should have said no, and we shouldn't have had these conflicts. And so that's why I'm telling you, no, I don't want you dating. I don't want you going out with boys. As long as you're a teenager, I don't want that. What am I going to do when I'm 20? Well, you know, at 20 is another level. That's another age. You're no longer in school, and we'll get to that hopefully shortly, but this whole thing begins with the time in which freedom began to creep in. Boys and girls begin to take down those barriers of old-fashioned courtship and morality begin to give way to freedoms. I remember the 60s, the 1960s, only 40 years after the 20s. That's pretty good, wasn't it? I was teaching school, and a group called the Monkees and another group called the Beatles came along. This was the beginning of a more intensity of that same thing that started back in the 20s. And they began to grow this funny hair and sing crazy songs. And, of course, Elvis came, and Little Richard was yelling and all that kind of stuff coming on, and everything got kind of goofy. Nothing had to make a lot of sense. In fact, the more sense it didn't make but had a good beat to it, it's fine. I could quote you some of the old songs that I grew up with. I remember the words to a couple of them now, and I think, how ignorant. <laughs> but it was at the music hall, the dance hall, that, you know, you went to the, we call it the high teen club. You go to high teen on Friday night because all the girls were there. And hopefully before you went home, you paired off with one of them. You know, it's going to get a Coke. That's not what you're after. That's what she thinks you want, just a Coke. I'm going to buy you a Coke, but we ought to talk a little while, shouldn't we? And you start doing that kind of stuff, and then you learned how to do it. You begin to taste and see, not that the Lord is good, but taste and see how much of a man you are. And boys begin to compare notes because they learn to date. They learn to date, and all of those things begin to happen. The old-fashioned ways let go, the sexual freedoms that have just about destroyed our country, came along, people began to go this way and go that way. A woman wrote me a note the other day from somewhere. She didn't sign it. I don't know who she is. But she has a teenage daughter. She doesn't want her daughter to date. I guess the way she grew up, she, maybe she grew up similar to the way I grew up, and she sees where it leads. It leads to nowhere. And the end result of dating is a scar. 
One of the reasons there's so much divorce today is because of this love them and leave them attitude. You do that while you're dating. You get tired of one, get another one. Get tired of one, get another one. And a lot of times, two young people that have been very intimate with each other before they got married, they get bored with each other after they get married. And they just don't last long. And, you know, ah, let's get out of this. So they get out of it. The day is coming. Let me tell you this. The day is coming that people will quit marrying because it's too complicated getting out of it. Single families are on the TV, glamorizing all of that, fatherless kids. And you see all of these mothers trying to raise somebody's kid, and he's nowhere to be found. And you get this attitude, this bitter attitude, and then you marry a girl that's got a chip on her shoulder. She wants to get married because maybe this woman was thinking of it. Here's what she said. My husband believes it's okay for 12, 13, 15, and 16-year-olds to run all weekend with boy girlfriends, going to football games, dances, and parties, even when he is with them at times, Staying out until 10 o'clock or sometime later. You ever stay out at 10 o'clock? 10. Okay, I think that's great. Of course, mine are grown now. I think it's wonderful. Staying out to 10 o'clock or sometime later. Sometimes spending five to seven hours together. Then letting them go to different youth groups without knowing what they believe. I said He said nothing's wrong with holding hands and hugging. He believes it's okay because there are other people there and nothing's going to happen. I used to believe like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We love, we hug. Nah, nothing. Don't, don't worry about it. Well, that's a license. I think it is, folks. I really is. I think dating has led to some really tragic, difficult times like venereal diseases. I think just going out and having this one this week, and I think it's led to venereal diseases and things like that and AIDS and unwanted children. How many unwanted children are there? And if it's led to pregnancies, that is, it shouldn't have been, how do you get rid of that? Abortion. Over, over a million and a half abortions every year in this country. And now that there's so much birth control, you don't hear about the abortions as much as you normally would because they're already preventing as much life as they can. Life is no longer a gift. It's a curse, and you got to get rid of it. All of this came so you can still have this fun dating and doing all these things. Hey, I'm free. I can do this in my body. I do with it what I want to. You say, well, we wouldn't date like that. Well, I wouldn't think you would. I'm just telling you what's happened. You have a lot of date rape, porn, porno, all kinds of weird behavior, sex education in schools that are passing out birth control devices to the students. There's no restraints. Olympic Games and the World Games that are coming up, they were describing, this stuff's on radio. It's like you get to cover your children's ears up. I won't use the word. But they're passing out thousands and thousands of birth control things. Thousands and thousands when young people get together to participate in sporting events. And I think, how did this all start? Hasn't anybody ever seen the tragedy in all of this? I mean, has anybody seen how badly God is going to have to judge this nation? The curse on this nation is abortion. I don't care what anybody says or how you cut it. After all these 40 years of doing what I'm doing, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine when I was a young man growing up that there would ever be such a thing as abortion. There was a respect for life. That thing living in a woman's belly was a person. And to be so disgusted with the idea of having to have a child, which you got the way you got, and so you want to get this thing and just remove it so you can go do it again, and a lot of them do. How long do you think God will stand by when we have ignored and trashed the sanctity of life? How long will God stand by and let grace prevail over our country? It's not going to be forever. He says, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. We never had these problems like this back in the turn of last century. 
when everything was so restricted and confined that a boy had to go to the girl's father before he could even talk to the girl? We didn't have these problems in. We didn't have divorce. I mean, people stayed married in those days. Now, marriage is almost a joke. Now you get married to foreign women so they can become citizens of this country and then divorce and keep marrying as a way to make money. What do you suppose God will finally say on that great day of judgment? We got a world that has no clue or even concerned about that, and yet one day it will happen like a thief in the night. It's going to happen. And then there he will be. There will be God. The sheep on one's hand, the goats on the other. And he will say to the goats, that's it, forever and ever and ever. It didn't have to be like that. I do believe this. I do believe that the attitude that precedes all kinds of lewd and wrong behavior is an attitude that is fostered in dating and romantic encounters with boys and girls. I do not believe it should be like that. I don't believe it has to be like that, but I believe it is. I think parents condone dating, even though they worry about where they are and what they're doing. A lot of parents say, well, at least my kid's normal. He's out with a girl, so I know he's not, you know, out with a boy. So he's out with a girl. And plus, if he's got two or three different girlfriends, then he must be popular at school. So chances are one day he's going to get married and we won't have to raise him the rest of our lives. Think parents wouldn't do that? Oh, I think a lot of parents would. I think a lot of parents do. I really do. Some of the reasons that kids give today for dating is that, well, everyone's doing it, and they would think I'm strange if I didn't. How wrong is it to be strange? I don't mean weird. Now, there are some strange people in this world. How wrong is it for you to avoid the appearance of evil by dating just to prove to somebody that well, I'm not weird. See, I'm dating. Listen, we're going to be persecuted for what? Say righteousness sake. Or, listen to me, for the sake of what is right, you make that decision to do what is right, and because of that, the Bible says you will be persecuted. Now, you've got a choice to make. Do you believe if I preach what I should preach and say what I believe I should say, that everybody's going to be happy about it? Well, no, they don't want to hear that. A young person who's all primed and pumped to start liking boys and start finding me some girls, they don't want to hear this. That's not a biblical attitude. That's not a biblical procedure, and it's certainly not a biblical thing to do. That's not the way God says to do it. And you do it that way anyway, then you're going to live with the consequences. Every choice has You make a choice, you have Make a bad choice, you get bad consequences. Make a right choice, everybody thinks I'm a freak of nature. Well, let them think what they want to. You're doing what is right, and you're getting hammered for it. One day, a right young man will come along, and he's not a predator. And he's not out looking for a, a score. He's not a wolf. He's trying to keep himself clean and pure so that when he gets married, the woman he'll marry will be the first one. There are still a few girls who want to be virgins, who want to be able to know that the gift I can give, the only I can give it once, that's it. And I want to save that for my husband, the man I want to love the rest of my life. And a lot of people laugh at that today. There are no virgin girls. A preacher friend of mine, daughter, worked at a little sandwich shop and she's a very lovely girl, and she was single then. And one day, a bunch of high school girls came in. They'd been in her two or three times. And so one day, one of them asked her, said, can we ask you a question? And she said, yeah. They said, are you a virgin? <laughs> are you a virgin? And she said, yes. You are? Like, you are? Huh? Because there's so many today that aren't. Because it's peer pressure. You got to get rid of that. And so you go on a date, and then you give in. Another question is, I'm not going to marry him. We're just having a social engagement. We're just going to a movie. I mean, we're not going to a parlor to get married. Man, how do you know you won't marry him? 
How many people got married because they met somebody and fell in love after the first date? There's strange things happen. I remember a preacher friend of mine was standing in the pulpit making announcements and another preacher that he didn't know and his daughter whom he had never seen walked in the door and the preacher looked at her and he said, the Lord spoke to him. That's what he said. He said, that's your wife. And she said that when she walked in and saw him or sat down and he started talking, she said, the Lord told her, that's going to be your husband. You know, that, that makes for a great book and title. It might be true. But that's rare and not normal. <laughs> it could be. You can't say that's not going to work. It could be like that. It has happened that way. It has. But there's more to it than that. You don't just keep running around with one and another one. We're just going out to a social engagement. After all, we're not going to get married or anything. How do you know you're not? Or sometimes they ask this question. They said, you know, I date non-Christians because it's my chance to witness to them. Yeah, I would laugh too. I go out with non-Christians. You know, we should be separated from the world. And it's, oh, I go out with non-Christians because this is my chance to witness to them. Well, that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse for dating. That's just an excuse. God doesn't call us to do something unscriptural in order to do his will. What fellowship does light have with darkness? I'm not saying you're better than anybody. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, what fellowship does an enlightened Christian have with an unenlightened Christian whose interests are not spiritual? And you are supposed to be a child of God and you're out with this guy who's not and his interest is in getting to know you and your interest is just in proving that you're just a nice date. It doesn't work like that very often. It shouldn't be like that. Another one is, well, I'm dating him so I can get him to come to church. Really? Well, if you really want to do it Christian-wise, tell him when he asks you to go out with him why you don't believe in going out. And that would be your testimony. My witness to him is, well, I don't date and I don't go out because when I do that, I'm going to get married. How would that go through the local high school? I don't date because when I date, it'll be with who I'm going to marry. And then it'll be an engagement. It won't be dating at all. And you watch that rumor go through the school and people look at you and they'll be going, you're really crazy. And wait a minute, wait a minute, who's crazy? What's the Bible say? What is a Christian supposed to do? Remember 12 years ago we taught on ethics? Been a long time, we need to do it again. It takes a year. But ethically, ask the question, what should a Christian do? Not what should a logical, reasonable, modern person. No, what should a Christian do? What's the right thing? What's the wrong thing to do? I call myself a Christian. I tell people I am a Christian. Now, the evidence of my Christianity is living according to God's word. That in itself sets me up for persecution and rejection and funny remarks and ugly behavior. But that's part of being a Christian. You'll suffer for righteousness sake. Trying to get an unsaved person to come to church again, why don't you just tell him what you believe? Or if he does come with you, prophesy while he's sitting there beside you. You want to see how much he is into this? Stand up and speak in tongues or something like that. And then give an interpretation and you watch him say, boy, I really, oh, man. Because you might look down when you sit down and he might be gone. Telling everybody that's the craziest church I was ever in. Or they sometimes will say that, well, how will I ever know who I'm supposed to marry if I don't date? If we don't go out and mix a little bit and at least get alone and just talk and chat together. If we don't learn to do that, how am I ever going to know who I'm supposed to marry? Now, that's easy to answer, isn't it? Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe it's possible? Now, see, I grew up dating, so I'm telling you what I believe now, not what I did. Do you believe it's possible that God could show you who you're supposed to marry without you having to play the field and try to find out? Because when you're playing the field, you're playing this game, love me or leave me. Da -da 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 -dee -dee. You go out here, you're dating, and you got this. And that. That's not the way you find out. 
God brings a gifted woman or man into your life. And when he brings that person, he brings with it the divine attestation that this is the one. You will know. You will know. How will you know? Trust me, you will know. You will know. I'll say this just briefly. It would be embarrassing her, but when I was in college, I had a date or two when I was in college. I better get off that. But uh, <laughs> my wife and I went out to get a Coke two or three times after a ball game, but just somebody to go with. But I really was not interested in any kind of relationship, you know what I mean, other than enjoyable to be around, nice person. Yeah, she's a good girl. But yeah, it's not some, you know, door I'm going to knock down to marry until she started going steady with my roommate. <laughs> yeah. We were on a basketball team, and, you know, AC was a big fella too, and he's a nicer guy than I was. But it's just one day, it's just one day in my life, I don't know exactly where, but one day when I looked again, I heard AC were somewhere, and I looked at him, and I thought, huh, whoa. <laughs> it wasn't quite that dramatic. <laughs> That's just preacher talk. But anyway, <laughs> I knew in my heart, at least what, as much as I could know as an unregenerate, there was something in me that said, that's the person I want to marry. And as God is my witness from that day to this day, there has been nobody else. Nobody. Wasn't interested. You know, I'd friend everybody. But there was nobody else who had my heart like that. And it was just a matter of time till her and AC broke up. <laughs> anyway, we began seeing each other and we got married a year later. I'm just saying, we go back where it was, when you see the right one, and you don't have to run with all of them, you be friends with everybody. Be nice, be kind, be a Christian with everybody. Be thoughtful and gentle and kind. Just avoid the appearance of evil. Avoid the possibility of being misunderstood by where you are and who you're with and where you're all going together. Just stay away from all that. Nobody will ever talk about it. Then one day, Mr. or Miss Wright comes along. They may have been sitting there like with her. They've been there all the time. But there was a day in which my heart went, that's it. It happens that way. You're sitting in a church meeting. You grew up with them. Known them your whole life. Never was interested. I mean, just never was interested in one day. When the right time comes, God does what he does. And you know, and she'll know. Or she knows, and then he'll know. But it happens like that. That's the kind of marriage that stays together. This is the kind of thing when God brings two people together, not because they're really after each other. They weren't. And one day, it's just the signal becomes the same in both. Ding. And then that which is wholesome and rich and good and lasting comes out of that. You're not trying to develop this thing. You're not trying to get together and promote it. You just let God have his way and even confirm it. Not even going to try to engage in a lot of anything. Just going to let God confirm it to where everywhere I go, wherever I look, there she is or there he is. And so you start talking and laughing about dumb things. The next thing you know, you're talking about spiritual things, which is good. And then the subject comes up and you start talking about that. And then you can begin to share your heart about things when the right time comes in the right place. That's better than going steady. It's better than just owning somebody. I think a lot of people that go steady feel like, you know, she's my girl or he's my guy. And it becomes a time of exploitation. The girl wants to be pampered. She wants to be spoiled. She wants him to give her all of his feelings and his attention and do for her and put her on a pedestal and make her feel like the queen of the universe. I'm not saying a boy doesn't really, wow. But you can get to the place where she becomes such a leader she begins to exploit you. She goes with you shopping and picks out your clothes because you don't know what you ought to be wearing anymore. She does. And you've got a job, you know, you're making whatever you make, and she begins to tell you how much of that you should spend and how much of it you shouldn't, and she could probably put it away for you. And it's just this exploitation. Of course, it costs her a little bit of romantic engagement too. If I'm going to spend all this uh, money on you, uh, 
we're going to, you know, holding hands is not going to work. I mean, we're going to have to hug or something. And you start doing that. And you're willing to do a lot of things. A lot of kids are so insecure that they'll go through a great extreme just to have somebody. Have somebody for social engagement. I get to go with somebody. And I think that's why divorce cases turn out to be greater. Why so many young people divorce. And why there's so many unwanted children that come in the world. Unwanted children. Because two people were out of control and couldn't control themselves, should have never gotten in that place in the first place. Now they got a baby out of wedlock. It shouldn't be like that. I know how that feels. I'm familiar with that. And I know what the long-term effects of it can be, too. And how many old fellowships you used to have are terminated. They leave their scars. Youthful foolishness trying to be free and act like the world and all those romantic novels and all that kind of, and they get on there and they start kissing and they start biting each other's faces and they're just growling and biting. and Maybe you all think that's the way this goes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to go into that, but I'm just telling you that it's not the way it ought to be. And if these two people marry that were so involved in their youth when they get married, chances are they really will get bored with each other. Well, then what should we do? What should we do? I mean, what's the right way for Christians to? Well, let me tell you, this is my opinion, all right? It's what I think. And not because in all my growing up years, I did it this way. Because I was part of the date system myself. Now that all of my kids are grown and they're raised, and they're having kids now, and I can see the trend in this society that we're in and all the foolish, hurtful behavior and how parents grieve and can't control their kids and kids and parents are not having a relationship they ought to have because of this and how it's dividing homes and dividing. It's just nothing's good is coming out of this. What's the right way to do it then? Well, I just told you a while ago. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the world is seeking after shall be added unto you. Amen. Quit trying to flirt with the boys and show yourself and be that cute little spicy thing that chugs his emotion. Leave it alone. Quit dressing like you're a streetwalker. Dress for God. Dress like you want God to be pleased with the way you look. Just dress that way. That's open to different levels of conviction, but dress that way. Just trust the Lord that when you're ready and it's your time, he will bring the right girl or the right boy into your life and make you know that that's the person you ought to marry. Now, let's say that's happened. Courtship is akin to a biblical commitment to marry. It's like engagement. In the Old Testament, to break an engagement was like getting a certificate of divorce. Remember Mary and Joseph. They weren't married, but they were espoused or engaged to each other. They had committed themselves to a future marriage. When he found out she was going to have a baby, he was going to put her away privately and give her a writing of divorcement. And of course, the angel said no. But the man goes in, he and the girl, or she and the boy are pretty well convinced that they're for each other, that God is confirming this. They're not in a hurry. It's going to take a while. I want you to confirm it over and over and over. And once you're pretty sure that this is what God wants, there's no other girl in your life, no other boy you want to marry. I mean, you're like a dog on point. This is it. You say to the father, you go to her father. If she doesn't have one, you talk to her mother. If she doesn't have one, talk to the preacher then, and he'll represent her. And you say, can I have your permission to talk with your daughter and see her at your home, or can we see each other? And the father, the biblical father, would say, do you believe you're supposed to marry my daughter? And he would say, I think so, but I would like to absolutely know so and just sort of meet with her and talk with her about some things and just discuss some things. And say, yes, you may, but you may do it in my house while I'm there. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to coach her, ask him this, ask him this. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> listen to me. 
Does not a father have a right for a young man who's going to ask his daughter to leave his house and has the biblical role of giving his daughter away? Isn't that what he's supposed to do in marriage? Who gives this daughter marriage? Should he not have the right to see in the boy or the young man she's going to marry some kind of Christian dignity and respect? Should he not give them something to do that nobody does that? I know they don't, but he wants that. You want to marry his daughter? Yeah, well, then you've got him to deal with too. Now, he says you cannot take her out alone anywhere unless he goes with you. I'm making this. Unless he goes with you. You said, man, I ain't going to do that. I don't want him in a car, her in the back seat, me up front driving. What if, <laughs> oh Lord, what if, what if the father just said, I just want to see what he's going to do with this. Tell you what, I want you and my daughter to go down to McDonald's a while. Let's get a Coke. Let's just go down there and park a while. She'll sit in the back seat and I'll sit up front with you and you all can talk. <laughs> now we all laugh because that's unheard of, but I'm just saying, what if I, as a father, I want to see what your reaction is. I want to do it that way. What if a young man says, I ain't going to do that. I don't want you to marry my daughter. You know why? Because you're selfish. You're very ambitious, but you're not the kind of man I want to bring me grandchildren. If he says, yes, sir, that'd be fine. If that's what you want to do, we'll be fine. I just want to be where she is and talk to her. Now, what if she's over 20? She's out of school. She's not a teenager anymore. She's still in your house, isn't she? Yeah, but at the same time, and folks, you can't make rules here. We live by principles. We don't live by rules. The principle is a Christian father must hope and pray that he has raised the kind of a daughter that knows what she believes and would stand on that before she would violate anything. She'd never do it. A girl who wants to keep herself pure and clean before the Lord. He's got to know that. He's got to have a daughter that doesn't just argue with him and fuss and fight and throw fits and slam doors. You can't trust any, any, any girl like that, any of them, or boys either. can't trust them. But he wants to raise his child so this young man is honorable. This young man's constitution is that I would not violate that girl for any reason. I'm not going to touch her and hold her hands. I just want to talk to her. I just want to make sure. I want to confirm that what I believe is of God's will here. And so he sees her. I believe, do, when they get older, 20 years old, past 20, they want to go out to some nice restaurant or some McDonald's and eat. I would like to think they're mature enough to do that because you can't keep your child at home forever. I would like to think that you could. I sure want to keep my daughters at home because they go off and they're gone. I don't know what they're doing. I really don't, and I should because I'm her daddy. And yet this whole thing is changing while we're talking. The whole social order is changing, and Christians are trying to change with it. In closing, all I'm saying is this. If you find the one you believe is of God, and it's confirmed by relationship and talking, get married. Just get married. If you want me to, I'll be glad to help you in officiating it or in giving you some advice in it. I remember one daughter that a man had. man had more than one daughter. He had a daughter that more than his other daughters was mature. Just different. And I think when she was still young, before she was 20, somebody asked if they could marry her. And the father said, yes, because he was an honorable man. And they got married. Rode off into the sunset, living happily ever after. It's just like grace came with the wedding. It's like God's approval was on such an encounter. A girl who loved the Lord, who showed her parents she loved the Lord, and her testimony to the world was, God is first in my life. The young man came along similar they were ready, they got married. I think it's great. I think it's great whenever young people can grow up and, and have a sense of responsibility on their own to be mature, to act mature, to prove their maturity like at home, in the church, and prepare themselves to be the kind of 
mothers and fathers that raise citizens in God's kingdom. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to minister to all of us here tonight. We know you've forgiven us of so many hurtful mistakes that we have made in our lives and all the dumb and foolish things that the devil enticed us to do and we gave into it so easily. We ask you to spare our young folks, spare our children from all of that. Let it be different with them, Lord. We don't care what the world thinks and what good things the world would say about us. We just want your approval with what we do as a church and the things we do as a church in raising our children. We want Christian homes, Christian parents. We want Christian children to have Christian testimonies. Only you can make all of this happen, and we ask in Jesus' name that you would make it happen in our midst. Amen.